0: One Christmas Eve, Grandma was getting ready to leave the house and head home, and her young granddaughter looked at her with uh, kind of this uh, fear in her eyes and this deep concern, and she said, Grandma, make sure that you're really careful on the way home because Santa's delivering presents. Her grandmother smiled and sought to reassure her, and she said, Oh, honey, I think I don't have anything to worry about from Santa." And her daughter, incredulous, said, haven't you heard? He's already run over one grandmother. (laughs) So to all our grandmas who are here tonight, make sure you uh, are really careful on your way home tonight because uh, we wouldn't want any unfortunate sleigh accidents happening. Uh, Christmas is the season of giving, and if you'd like to make an offering as part of your worship tonight, there are offering boxes in the back, uh, one for Faith Cove and one for Esperanza Viva that you can use at any time this evening. Uh, It's the gift of God's extravagant love that we celebrate at Christmas and that encourages us to be people of generosity and goodwill in our own lives. And so in that spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me over All of these gifts of praise and worship that we're able to offer tonight and to ask for God's blessing as we look into a time in His Word. Would you pray with me? God, on this holy night, when all the stars are shining and the light of your love uh, shines into our lives, would you remind us of the simple truth that you are a God of grace and mercy and love, not of judgment and criticism and shame. As we remember the Christmas story, would you teach us about that love in a new and a fresh way again tonight and in the the weeks and the months ahead so that we can go from this place tonight remembering that, that we have met with the living God and that you have spoken a word to each one of us that is just the word that we need to hear that is our gift from you this Christmas. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, who gave his life, so that we might have life and have it to the full. Amen. Here at Faith Covenant Church, our theme this year has been a simple Christmas. Uh, We've been charting our course towards Christmas by looking at the, uh, the unusual Christmas character of John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, whom the Bible tells us was sent on a mission to prepare the way for the Lord. And so he went out into the desert wearing funky clothes and eating funky food, and people came out to the river to be baptized to find forgiveness and a fresh start in their relationship with God. And and his whole goal was to prepare people's hearts so that they would recognize God when he showed up. Tonight, as we arrive at Christmas, we see within the Christmas story that the simple yet profound meaning of God's arrival on earth in the person of Jesus is, the, is one that we too can miss if we're not careful. The story that is captured for us in the gospel of Luke chapter 2 tells us of this gift of God's love that was given to us that comes with simplicity and, and displays God's extravagant generosity and brings peace on earth and goodwill towards all people so that we can all find contentment in our hearts. But the problem was, nobody recognized. Picking up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us, "'In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree "'that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. "'This was the first census that took place "'while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, "'and everyone went to their own town to register. "'So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth "'in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, "'because he belonged to the house and line of David.' And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, kind of going in the opposite direction, summarizing the whole miraculous story of God's good news to people, the Apostle John went with this simple phrase, God is love. Let's look at that phrase for a second. Don't, don't rush past that too quickly. God is love. That phrase at one point was originally a provocative statement. Today, in many ways, I'd like to suggest for us tonight that it's become so folksy and generic. It no longer offends our human sensibilities like it originally did when it was announced from heaven that the God of the universe who had promised the Messiah came in this little infant boy out in the middle of a rural village in the middle of the night where nobody even heard about it. Now, everyone agrees that there's something kind of ethereal and warm and fuzzy and divine about about love, right? Everybody's in favor of love, aren't they? I mean, we love the idea of love, as long as it remains this this abstract concept that that, that we can observe from a distance, but, but it never really has any demands or impact on our lives and our choices and how we choose to live in the world. But the true meaning of Christmas is that love that is abstract and at a distance really is no love at all. Love that is not grounded in a a real person and in a real place and in a real relationship is something other than love. While the claim that love took on a name and became personal, personal enough to be known. And to actually make promises to people that he would fulfill. And one day to come and live among us is a revolutionary theological religious statement. Jesus came and made the love of the creator God present and personal in a way that nobody had thought about or heard of before. And so this provocative claim of the Christian story is this, that, that the God of the universe stripped himself of all of his design, position, and privilege, and powers. All of his transcendent glory he forewent and laid aside it all so that the one power that really matters he could reveal to humanity is, is the love is what conquers all. God is love, John says, but the world didn't recognize it. In John 1, 9 and 10, he said, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. What more tragic reality than the very God who created the world was unrecognizable by the creation that he had made? Now, I'd like to suggest for us tonight that we all have two categories of problems in our lives. <laughs> right? We have those problems that are outside, and we have those problems that are inside. <laughs> the problems outside might go by names like my bank account, or my job situation, or my relationship with my spouse, or my relationship with my kids, or my relationship with my parents, <laughs> my health. My plans for school, my plans for retirement. While the problems inside might go by names like anger, ego, selfishness, fear of failure, fear of abandonment, arrogance, a lack of empathy, a critical spirit, lust, greed, addiction. Now, the way we try to deal with the problems outside of ourselves are often attempts to manipulate and blame and control the world around us. While the way we try to deal with the problems inside of us is usually to take some aspect of the outside problems and magnify them to to be large enough to carry our sense of identity and, and understanding of who we are in the world. For example, we might take our careers or our appearance or our romantic relationships, our recreational and leisure time, or the stuff that we own, or the stuff that we wish we could own. And we use these things as a way to try and affirm our own sense of value and importance in the world. So that other people might look at us and, and see somebody who, who's successful or who's uh, uh, popular or somebody who's worth getting to know or, or worth loving. Maybe. But what we don't realize is that all of this is an attempt to find our deepest value and meaning as human beings without ever dealing with the God who made us and in the one who gave us the gift of life to begin with. This is what the Bible calls sin. Now, I know, I know sin's not a popular word, it's a word that has been abused, but I would encourage you to not get hung up on the word. Because there's a deeper meaning to what the word is. And if a different word works better for the you, then change the vocabulary. Because when we really understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about sin, we learn that it's not an accusation. It's not a condemnation. It's a diagnosis of our human condition. Like when you go to the doctor and you describe all of your symptoms and you discover, gosh, there's a name for what you have. And the risk in trying to pretend that you're healthy when you're not is that you miss out on the opportunity to find help and healing. So the story of Christmas is that this God of love came not to bring judgment to us, but to bear it for us. Not to shame us for our sin condition, but to take on that very sin condition himself so that we might find help and healing to overcome the very condition that we suffer from. And in this greatest story ever told, God reveals to us that his love for us, a love so strong that you could never earn it, and yet also so strong that you could never lose it. It's that love that is the only cure that's available for what ails us. The real challenge in our sin condition is not that God has such a strict moral code that being perfect is the only way that you can prove that you love God. It's that sin is what gets in the way of love. It prevents us from giving love. It prevents us from receiving love, and it blinds us from recognizing love when it arrives in our midst. But it's in Jesus, the one called Emmanuel, God with us, that we begin to see the truth that God is love. And that's why Jesus is the light of the world. Yet, again, this is not a nice, warm, fluffy fairy tale Right? It's not a story that simply gives us a good reason to go out and decorate our houses with lights and our trees with ornaments and to pig out on the amazing delicacies and all the family traditional recipes that we can cram into a long weekend space of time. And to, and to buy all the possible presents that we could afford to shove under the tree that we open in one morning and then we're done. It is in fact a scandalous story that calls us to re-examine and to reorder the way that we view ourselves in the world and the the way we pursue our life with those around us. This scandalous statement that God is love has deeply personal and far-reaching social implications If we think about the social implications, we can begin by recognizing that when God chose to come into his world, he came far too quietly and far too humbly for any of us to give him any uh, sense of value or importance. Because that's not how we would do it, right? Where's the paparazzi? Where's the fanfare? Why didn't the angels kind of announce to the whole world all at once so there could be no doubt that God had arrived? The most important moment in the history of moments happened and hardly anyone knew about it. But there was one brief moment, right? When a host of angels broke the silence and let a few people in on the secret. Now, basically the word host refers to a great large number, a large number of angels, or, or even more likely a huge army of angels. This is no sweet angelic choir singing silent night, holy night. This is the host of God's angel army announcing the arrival of God into the world. In fact, it doesn't even say that they were singing. It says that they were saying. Look at verse uh, 13 and 14 again. It says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. No wonder the angel had to tell them not to be afraid, right? And who were who these ones that uh, chose to receive this front row seat to his arrival in the world? A bunch of illiterate hourly wage earners who weren't, weren't even highly ranked enough to garner the day shift. In fact, in that day shepherds had such a bad reputation that they were widely considered spiritually contaminated and ritually unclean. They weren't even allowed to go into the temple to worship God. Now, wouldn't it be hard to think of any more unqualified and undesirable group of people for God to bring on board as his PR firm? And yet, in verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. You see, the Christmas story is more than just warm fuzzies and hot cocoa on a cold winter's night. It's a social scandal that upends the the, the economic uh, systems of the world that is searching for happiness and and searching for all the things that are going to give us identity and meaning and hope apart from God. It upends the very structures of human worth and status by introducing an entirely different standard for how we judge the meaning and value of life in this world. Now, it might cause you to either marvel in amazement or to be offended by its unseemliness, but what it does not do is give us the option of sentimental neutrality. It's just not in the story. God is love, but no one recognized it and few believed it. You see, the trouble with sin is that it gets in the way of love. It gets in the way of our ability to see it and to give it and to receive it for ourselves. And the extravagant and costly love of God calls into question all the cheap means of finding worth in our lives like wealth and success and popularity and fame and status. All those identities uh, that we never tire of wearing or seeking to acquire for ourselves, which ultimately only destroy those who wear them or, or all those who wish they could. All of these counterfeit forms of value and worth are simply overwhelmed and overcome by love when it arrives. And as the story of love progresses through the motley crew of unlikely characters throughout the Bible that God chooses to bring his message of good news, the story narrows and it narrows and it narrows until it comes to a single focused point and a teenage girl who is an unwed pregnant mother in a peasant class of a small family growing up in a rural town. who we probably would not invite to church. God chose to be the mother of the Savior of the world. In verse 18, it said, All who heard it were amazed by what the shepherd said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's a beautiful poetic statement, isn't it? Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. And we're so familiar with it because we read the Christmas story every year and it's one of the ways that, that the story ends. But what does it mean? What's going on for Mary? You see, Mary is reflective. and She's not saying a word. She's taking time to, to think and to remember all the things that have been said and all the promises of God that, that were becoming a reality as she sat there looking in the face of this newborn, beautiful baby that she was holding in her arm. She's gathering them all together in her mind and she's, she's pondering. The Greek word that's translated here as ponder most literally means to bring together in one's mind or to connect or, or, or to put into context. So Mary gazing at her newborn infant and as she does so, she's putting her life and the story of her life uh, into the context of the reality of what this little child in her arms means. And for a young Jewish woman, she would probably remember the the words of Isaiah 7.14 that hundreds of years earlier said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. She would have known that prophecy. She would have grown up memorizing it and reciting it, maybe singing it in worship. Only now, tonight, she's holding this baby in her arms and she's putting her own story into the context of this bigger story that's becoming real in this moment for her. And she's connecting the dots of God's story to her story. And she's realizing that God's message of love and grace was not just for this whole world, but it was for her. It was for me. The shepherds keeping their watch over the flocks at night are marveling that God would love the world this much, but Mary looking at this baby and marveling that God would love her this much, who would enter not just into the mess of our story, but into the mess of her story. And first... Mary, then for all who would dare to take the news of Advent and Christmas seriously. God is love, not just socially, but personally for me. Reflecting on the magnificence of all of that, Mary said in Luke 1.49, the mighty one has done great things for the world. That's not what it says. The mighty one has done great things For me. Holy is his name. In the midst of this miracle, Mary is able to connect the dots of God's story to her story. And as we wrap up our story tonight, in the light of that story, I wonder, can you begin to connect the dots of your own circumstances to the story of God's love revealed at Christmas? Do you you dare to begin to to ponder the meaning of Christmas and connect the dots to where God might be wanting to bring his love and his grace and his healing into the brokenness and the messiness of your story? What parts of your life have been blocked by fear? How is it that you typically self-destruct? In what ways have you not received love? because God stripped himself of all but love, because it's love and love only that is powerful enough to heal the brokenness of our human hearts. Don't be afraid, the angel said, because a love more powerful than fear and more powerful than worry and more powerful than shame has come to live among you tonight. What if you realize tonight that God is love? for you. God is with us. His name is Jesus. God is love. And I pray that we don't miss it. Would you pray with me? God, as we wrap up our worship service tonight and we prepare to sing Holy Night and light our candles, would you take the words of the story of Christmas, and the characters that you chose to be a part of your message of good news and allow us to see ourselves in the story, to connect the dots that the messiness and the brokenness of our lives is not something that you are Uh, unfamiliar with, or that you don't care about, or that you don't see, but just the opposite is the very reason why you came, to give your life so that we could have life, and that your love could overcome all of the fear and the brokenness that we carry today. And God, in the simple truth of your love for us, would you remind us this Christmas that it is love more than anything else that we most desperately need. And that is the very gift you offer us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.